It was my privilege to attend uh, Moody Bible Institute two times, once in the undergrad and then in my graduate work. Uh, Moody, there's a chapel they built, be big, beautiful chapel. It's called Tory Gray Auditorium. It's a big auditorium with a big pipe organ in it and a big place for a choir and, and uh, chapel speakers would come and, and would speak there. But in the foyer of Tory Gray Auditorium is a big, uh, a big display that goes across the back. And there are 7,000 names on that display and a little all across the back of that. There's 7,000 names. The, and it's a growing list. It's 7,000 names are the names of students that graduated from Moody and went out to be missionaries. 21 of those names have a little star by them. And over over 7,000 are missionaries, but the 21 with a little star, one of them, her name was Bonnie Weatherhall. And Bonnie in the graduate from Moody Bible Institute. She, was, she grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington, and she, she graduated from Moody Bible Institute, and she met a young man there. His name was Gary, and Gary was from England, and Bonnie and Gary went back home, and, and they were very successful in their business, but they had a tug of God on their heart to do something more directly and full-time, and they went into missions, and they went to Lebanon. And in Lebanon, Bonnie worked in a clinic, a pediatric clinic, where they gave free services to almost all Muslim people, Palestinian, displaced Palestinian people often that were in hardship. And uh, day after day, Bonnie would go into work and she would minister to these little children and she would love them. And every once in a while, she got a chance to tell them about Jesus. One, one morning, a sunny morning there on the coast in Sion in Lebanon on the, on the Mediterranean coast, she went into work and, and she uh, let herself in and she didn't realize there was a man following her and when she turned around, he shot her in the face three times. And she went to be with the Lord. He had discovered that she had told a little girl about Jesus. So he took her life. And the reason that her name has a star is because 21 of the students at Moody that went out to be missionaries have laid down their lives for Christ. In our text today, in one of the seven churches of Revelation, we're talking about a church that suffered and that Jesus asked them to be willing to lay down their lives. It is the church in Smyrna, and the text is Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Let's read that together. To the angel, to the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, and that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You may remember that last week we, we mentioned there are seven churches and there are many sevens in Revelation. And one of the sevens, there are seven sections in each of the seven letters to the seven churches. And those sections would be a greeting and then a description of Christ, 
and what they did right and what they did wrong, a correction, a warning, and then a promise. These are the seven sections. Each one, you can see each of the letters is, is, is broken down this way. A greeting to the church in Smyrna, a description of Christ, which is a piece of the greater description that's in chapter 1 in the vision of the Son of Man, what, the, what a commendation, a condemnation, in, in, in two cases, two churches have no condemnation, two churches have no commendation, a correction, and then a warning, and then finally a promise to those who overcome. And, and to study this, that's how we'll look at it. The, the greeting is to the, to the messenger, or to the angel, or to the messenger of the church in Smyrna, and you maybe remember that the, the word there, it could be translated angel or messenger. It might be an angel. It might be a messenger, a representative of the church. I, I guess I lean that way. I imagine a group of seven messengers. Allow me a bit of sanctified imagination. I like to imagine a group of seven messengers, men from the churches. Maybe they're women. I don't know. Maybe they're the head elders of the, uh, of the, of the churches representatives of the churches and and they've they gathered in, in Miletus perhaps to, to receive the 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 missive the letters from the representative of John on the island and they take them to Ephesus for the first meeting and they meet and and then they 40 miles north up the coast they go to Smyrna I'm not sure how that's how it worked but this is a, 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 a an ancient postal route that this travel it would be it would not be unusual for them to travel like together and to deliver these letters and even though a letter was written to a church, it was intended for all the churches to hear all the letters. And that's why it all, it says in every one of the letters, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we need to hear what the Spirit says to all the churches, because probably in the room here are people who represent every one of these kinds of things that are addressed in these letters to the churches. And so... The church in Jackson needs to hear about the church in Smyrna. Smyrna is uh, the only city that still remains today. It's modern Izmir in Turkey. Well over 400,000, the greater area is up over millions of people. There's a description of Jesus in verse 8. He calls himself the first and the last, the one who's dead and is now alive. So he's going to be, he's going to be telling them to withstand hardship and be willing to suffer and be prepared to die. And he says, I'm the one who was dead, and I'm alive. And that's going to factor here. The, the city of Smyrna was known as a, a, the city of myrrh. Of course, you know, myrrh was given to Jesus in his, in his nativity, and it was used in Jesus in his, in, his, in his embalming after his death. To the messenger of the church of Smyrna, meaning bitter, Smyrna was the exclusive producer of myrrh. In fact, at the beginning, the end of, of Jesus' life, in, 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 in suffering, when, when you face suffering, and you will, although we won't all face the kind of suffering that Bonnie did, or the kind of suffering that the Indian pastor I talked about earlier did, all of us will suffer to some degree, and all suffering is real, and all suffering is significant, and all of us need to be prepared for the suffering that happens to us. Things are going to happen to us in our lives that we really weren't planning. As a time like that, you need to have a vision of Jesus that's appropriate to your suffering. Perhaps with you, there's circumstance in your life that threatens your life. The vision of Jesus you would want to have is, he's the one who died. 
and now he's alive. And that's what's true with Smyrna. The city of Smyrna had died and come back to life a number of times. And so there's some literary, uh, there's some, there, there are many points of, of literary uh, nuance in what Jesus writes to them. You know, to the city that died and came back to life, from the one who died and came back to life, don't be afraid to die because if you're faithful, you'll come back to life. So there's a literary beauty in that. These things says the first and the last who was dead and who came to life. In Smyrna at the time, many residents worshipped a, a, a goddess named Sibyl. And Sibyl, uh, whom they regarded as the uh, personification of the rejuvenation of nature. And the devotees of, of, of Sibyl claimed that she rose from the dead every spring. To them, Jesus describes himself as the one who dead and now is alive forevermore. In other words, in a subtle way and in a more direct way later, Jesus is always in the face of his rivals. He really has no rivals, but he's always in the face of his rivals. And this is the case there. What do they do right? You see this in, in verse 9. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. The, the word tribulation, it means weight. And it's a reference to an ancient form of torture where weights were placed on the chest of a person lying on a flat surface and weights kept being added. This is the word picture you're supposed to get when you hear the word tribulation, weights. And I think it'd be good for us to, to think before we go into more about Smyrna, what, what pressure do you, do you suffer under? What weights are being piled on? I thought about you a lot this week. I, I, uh, I talked to one older lady, not in our church, and I had a personal conversation with her, and I said, how are you doing? And she said, well, I emptied a box of Kleenex this morning. And I said, oh, you have a cold. She said, no, I was just feeling sorry for myself. And my heart went out to her. I thought, well, she told me a little bit. She said, I'm okay. But I cried all morning, and I emptied a box of Kleenex. Well, she has some pressure in her life. What pressure do you have in your life? It'd probably be good for you to think about that. Some of you maybe are facing the pressure of loneliness or the pressure of financial need. I talked to a young couple not long ago, and my heart was so sad when they were telling me about their bills, and they mentioned that their mortgage was, these are common people, $1,600 a month. And I heard for them, I'm like, mm, that's, a, that's a heavy debt for somebody with a small income and little children and car payments and tax payments and food bills and school payments. And maybe that's just a, like most of us have some pressure there. It's real. It's not, it's not the same as being martyred, but it's real. Or maybe there's the pressure of the weight of misunderstanding or the weight of, of discouragement or anxiety or, or maybe you fr you're frustrated with your own, your own fear. You, you know, some people, they live with a low-grade fear or anxiety all the time. And that's a constant weight on their chest. And what we're going to talk about today, about Jesus and about Smyrna, is going to help you with that pressure. When you have a, a wayward child or a child that you know should do something different than what they're doing, this is a crushing weight on your chest. If you have somebody that you care about, but you can't help them, that's, that's a pressure, that's a weight on your chest. Some of you live with physical pain. I, I know some of you right now are in physical pain, contemplating a surgery that may or may not fix that physical pain. 
or physical pain that you know that outside of a miracle you'll never recover. It's just something you're going to live with for the rest of your life. And you think about it's going to get worse and worse the older I get. I kind of think every day when I walk down the stairs. I wonder how old I'll be when I can't walk down the stairs. And Lois has to carry me every day. (laughs) She thinks about that, I think. But even though we laugh about it, it's real. We think about that. Or or maybe the struggle of a besetting sin or the weight of misunderstanding or the weight of a broken relationship or trying to make a blended marriage work or, you know, right? You You got pressure, you got stress. It might be good for you to think about the pressure, stress, weight you have in your life right now as we look at what Jesus has to do about that, because I think it's going to be helpful to you. But what weighed down the church of Smyrna? Well, they had the weight of poverty, even though God said, oh, I want to remind you, though, you're poor in the world, but you're wealthy with me. And you think about it, would you rather be wealthy in the world and poor with God? Or would you rather be poor in the world and wealthy with God? I know what you're thinking, you like to be, I like to be wealthy in the world and wealthy with God. Oh, yeah, but we don't all get to do that. But, but Smyrna was poor, and probably as a result of their pressure and their tribulation there was the weight of slander the the way it worked was the jewish uh group in smyrna had made a deal they kind of deal with rome rome was allowing them and smyrna was a very compliant kind of uh to to the emperor and to the emperor worship and they were they were early adopters smyrna was an early adopter in terms of compliance with rome and the jews cut a deal early they they had a kind of a uh, can we still be Jewish if we tip our hat to Rome and to the emperor? And they had that deal. But when these new Christians, when this cult of sect, the cult of Jesus came, the Jews slandered them and said all kinds of untrue things about them so that the pressure came down on them. And they would have to sign off on the emperor worship. They would have to have a certificate that they'd offer incense to the emperor. And if they didn't have that certificate, then they couldn't buy, they couldn't sell. There would be pressure. It, it might even cost them their life. And for some, it would do that. And so this was, this was a, a, the, the, the weight of, of slander that had teeth in it. It was very, very difficult. There's the weight of prison. A little bit later, you notice that you, he says um, there in verse 10, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. That would be a recurring nightmare for some. So the persecution would go from poverty to slander to perhaps incarceration you can imagine how horrifying that would be how much that would mess up your life how how what do you how do you take care of your how do you protect your wife while you're in prison how do you provide for your kids and your wife while you're in prison you get a chance you might want to watch you can get it free from voice of the martyrs for a couple of days there's a video that you can download or you can stream free uh, from the voice of the martyr called tortured for his faith there's a story of Richard Wombrand, years in prison, suffering and unrelentingly following Jesus Christ. It is powerfully heartening for us to think about the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ back through time and even around the world today. And he says in verse 10 to them, do not fear any of those things you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested You'll have tribulation 10 days. That's probably, scholars aren't sure, it's probably, that 10 days is probably a reference to the holding time you would normally have before you would face uh, the, the, the games where you, might, where, where you might end your life. And he's kind of saying, you know, for a while you'll be in prison and then some of you are going to die after that. 
It specifically says that. Listen to verse 10 again. Behold, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Be, be ready to suffer. Be ready to die. Be ready to feel the fury of Satan using people to hurt you. This isn't really the kind of message that you normally would see on your Christian television channels. These are the texts that those guys always skip. And this is what Jesus is telling Smyrna. Maybe some of us today need to be prepared to suffer or to stand alone. We need to be prepared to face pressure or weight or slander or suffering or maybe even someday imprisonment or misunderstanding. Or maybe with the hangnails that we have in comparison with these things, we find ourselves complaining. We're complaining because our Wi-Fi went down a couple of days. I, uh, I talked with a brother this week. He said, my Wi-Fi has been down for two days and it's kind of irritating me. And, he, and it was in the context, we were having a conversation about this. He said, this is Walt Walkowski, your former pastor. He said, I went to the Philippines where people live on dumps and my Wi-Fi's been out for a couple of days and it irritates me. And, and I've had that happen. I said, Walt, move to the country, you'll never have Wi-Fi. Um, but he said, no. Then there was the weight of brutal execution. It gets worse. He, he literally said, you're gonna die, you'll be executed. Some of you will be faithful unto death. And he goes, but don't fear. If you suffer and you get imprisoned and you die, he says, don't be afraid. That's amazing. What does he say? Don't be afraid because of what? Because I'm going to crown you with life. I'm going to crown you with life. You will be crowned with life. Eternal, abundant, in the presence of Jesus' life. You see how that helps when you take whatever it is that's, you know, your pressure, and you think about the pressure that they faced and what Jesus said about that, and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to, you know, this hurts and it's hard, but I'm going to trust you. I know, some of you are facing unrelenting pressure that isn't going to go away in most of your life, if not all of your life. And there's just no happy platitudes that are going to fix that. You have to do things. There's a lady in our other church, and I started to get her story. And I remember she said to me, when, my, when, when I was young, I had to take care of my sister because she was afflicted. And she had some physical problems, and she had, had constant care. And so I helped my mom. And then she said, then my mom, then my sister died. And my mom got old and she needed care, so I helped my mom and I cared for her. And then my mom died and her sister needed somebody to take care of her. And so I cared for her. They adopted two precious girls from Korea. One of the girls just was uh, brilliant, beautiful, off the charts accomplishments. The other girl had some real serious problems that required continual attention and continual care. She said, Pastor, I just feel like I've been taking care of somebody all my life. I don't remember a time when I wasn't taking care of somebody. Okay, Mr. Happy, straight teeth preacher, what do you say to a girl like that? You need to go here and you need to say, with humility, 
Jesus has promised that the reward for you will be out of this world. Be faithful unto death. I am going to crown you with life someday. And then, what action did Jesus tell them to take? When he said, be faithful, he said, I'll crown you with life. And the significance of that, too, there's a literary significance to that because Smyrna was known as a crown city. It was set on a hill, and people said it looked like a crown. And so in saying this, he was appealing to that in a, in a literary way, in a beautiful way. The crown here is not the diadem crown. It's the Stefano's crown. It's not the kingly crown. It's the competitor's crown. It's the victor's crown. He's talking about two different Greek words, different kinds of crowns. He's saying you'll get the crown you get when you win the victory. Now look at this. These were people that were poor, impoverished, and they were oppressed, and they're persecuted. They're losers. Everybody in town goes, they're losers. They're losers. That's all they are. The Jesus freaks. They're losers. And Jesus says, oh, no, I'm going to give you the gold medal someday. You're, you're more than conquerors. You're overwhelming. You're right, you're, what you're, can I talk to you right now? What you're going through may feel like losing. It may feel so, how could this, what, what, what possible good can come from this? Why did, Lord, why do, why do I have to go through this? Why can't my life be different or why can't it be better? He says, be faithful unto death. And I will show you that you are victorious. And then what threat or warning does he give them? There's no, there's no condemnation for this church. The suffering has purified them. There's no threat or warning to them. There's only sweet comfort that he gives to them. And there is a promise, though, for those who overcome he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Or better way, another way to say that would be, won't experience the second death. There's not a better way to say it. Another way to say it would be, they won't, ex the, 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 interpretively, you won't experience the second death. There's a literary, it's a, it's a literary idiom to say, you won't be touched by the second death. The, the fact that he's referring to is, you won't experience the second death. Believers will physically die, but they will never spiritually die. Now, when you're under pressure that might lead to the end of your life, that would be a comfort to you. It would be your only comfort. This life isn't all there is to it. And in the next life, there are rewards that are given for faithfulness. So I'm going to be faithful. God helping me. I'm going to be faithful. What pressure has he made you the steward of? What pressure do you have that God says, this is your test of faithfulness and he's got notice that he's he has a time set for this you know be, be he says to them be faithful unto death some of you will be tested for 10 days but be faithful unto death it's interesting he he's notice this he says um i know your tribulation carry that forward I know your poverty. I know your slander. I know about prison. I know about your death. I know about the 10 days. It isn't anything I don't know. I know. God knows. You're under pressure. You're under stress. You're under weight. You're under difficulty. Other people may not care. God knows. And he actually set a time on it. This is how long you're going. I will strengthen you to suffer this long, and then I will crown you with life. 
This is the Christian soap. Nobody else has a message like this to give. But only the, those who follow Jesus can say these kinds of things, to give people ultimate hope. We live in a sin-cursed world, and that gets ugly and dark, and demonic and vile, and there's no answer for it. There's no political fix for that. There's no political leader for that. None. No party's ever going to solve that. You can't vote anybody into office that's going to fix that. This world is broken so badly, no one will ever fix it but Jesus Christ. You want to be on his side. You, you want to be one of his children. He knows what you're going through. He, he sees what you've gone through. And he's, he's given it a time. So if you think about it, this is interesting about the suffering church. They're poor, but they're rich. They're crushed but they're crowned. They say the myrrh, that, that it releases its fragrance when it's crushed. Lois, you and I used to go get that sweet Annie. And, we, and, and sometimes you'd send me on long trips for that. And I remember one time going down into Ohio, we got this sweet Annie from the Amish ladies. Remember that? And I put some of it in my basket 20 years ago, 20 years ago. It's in my study right back there right now. If we went back and got the sweet Annie and we crushed it right now, it would be so beautiful. It smells so beautiful. Right now, 20 years later, I prove it after church. Call me on this. Isn't that beautiful? I, I love that picture. Jesus, uh, his myrrh at his birth, his myrrh at his death. And he said, there's going to be fragrance, but it's not until I'm crushed that that fragrance is released. God's plan is to crush us. It was God's good plan, it says in Isaiah, about Jesus to crush him. Because that's when his fragrance was released. And you may be crushed right now. God wants to release a fragrance from your life that would be impossible any other way. You be faithful unto death. God will help you to be faithful. So they're poor, but they're rich. They're crushed, but they're crowned. They're dead, but they're alive. And they've overcome forever, and they have eternal life. This is helpful. I heard a lady say one time, I was watching George Burns on TV chomp on a cigar, 90 years old, and blaspheme God. And I just felt so frustrated because my sister was four years old, never smoked, and she's dying of lung cancer, and she loves the Lord. Why? It reminds me of uh, Psalm 73, when Asaph, who's the worship leader, goes to the house of God, and he sees the people who don't love God, and he says, I'm in a slippery place, because when I see all the people, the prosperity of the wicked, I feel like I'm, I'm slipping, I'm losing my faith. And then in, in Psalm 73, is until I went to the house of God and I remembered their end. The 40-year-old sister goes out into the presence of the Lord forever where she's crowned with life. And others who don't know the Lord, it's hard to even express the suffering that they're experiencing and will experience forever, according to the Bible. And so we want to keep in mind the ultimate realities. That's what this passage is saying. Keep in mind heaven. Keep in mind eternal life. Keep in mind the promises of God. Be faithful unto death. Uh, we should be more courageous against our enemies when we see the way things are re really, really are. Uh, one of the elders yesterday, I, I think Leo referred to um, in our meeting, it referred to Hebrews 12. It's a picture in of, of, the, of the heavenly assembly. It's a picture of the church gathered in heaven. And it says, Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Then it's an innumerable 
company of angels. It's the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to the God and judge of all the spirits of just men made perfect. And Jesus, who's the mediator of the new covenant. That's what's happening. They're worshiping in heaven. We join them on earth. This is the reality. You, you've heard of the screw tape letters, right? So it's a creative thing that C.S. Lewis did where Uncle Wormwood writes to screw tape. No, Uncle Screw Tape writes to Wormwood, and they're demons. They're both one's a senior demon, one's a junior demon. And he's saying how to mess up his new convert, right? And that's the literary form it takes. And he says, I want you to mock and caricature the church. I want you to help him think it's silly and it's petty and it's weightless and it doesn't matter. Uh, encourage, encourage him to paint the church with the colors and the caricatures of its least flattering professors. You know, point out the warts of the church, he's saying. But he says, by all means, he says to his fellow demon, do not ever let them see it as we do. As it really is. Spread out through all time and space, rooted in eternity and terrible as an army with banners. Did you catch that? The demon, the senior demon says to the junior demon, don't ever let them see the church the way it really is. Because it's a glorious thing without spot or wrinkle. Washed in the blood of the lamb, spread out with banners, an awesome, timeless, eternal thing. And they're a part of it. Don't ever let them see that. We'll never discourage them after that. <laughs> well, the screw tape is saying to Wormwood, don't ever let them get a true picture of the church from the eternal heavenly perspective. Because if you do, we're going to have a lot of trouble defeating them with discouragement. And that's why believers with a vision of Christ and of his church can say like Paul did in Romans 8 and verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that one day will be revealed to us. And so in times of persecution or pressure or weight, we don't fear death. The one who is first and last, the one who is dead and alive, we count not our lives unto death. Joseph's son was a Romanian pastor, and they threatened him with death. They said, we're going to kill you. He says, I need to tell you that if you kill me, I have preached messages that have been recorded on tape, and you'll make a martyr of me. And those tapes, when they'll be reproduced, they'll be sent all over the world. I'm not sure you want to do that. And they said, we're not going to help you. We're not going to kill you. <laughs> he didn't. Because they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and because they loved not their lives unto death, as it's quoted in Revelation 12. So what's the message? That was the message of the church of Smyrna. So what's the message of the church of Jackson? Let, let me give you this uh, quickly. First, be faithful to those who have suffered. Think about the, be, be a student of the suffering church. Somebody in the church needs to, why do they make czars of things? You know, you be the czar. Somebody in Bethel needs to be the czar of the suffering church. Somebody ought to take that job here in the church and say, I'll be the one that reminds everybody else about the suffering church. I'll be the one that helps the ladies remember to pray for the suffering church. I'll be the one that sends a little email to the elders and says, when you pray, don't forget the suffering church. I'll be the one who takes this on as a ministry. Maybe a teen, maybe a lady, maybe a, a, a young man would, would say, I'll, I'll watch this and I'll, I'll remind you. Folks, you should go home, sign up for uh, information from Voice of the Martyrs or from Open Doors, from good uh, Christian ministries that are really keeping an eye. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's a fascinating thing. It's so much more interesting and real and vital and eternal and ultimate than any sport you could follow. This is, the, this is the progress of the King of Kings and his church in the world. And you're suffering brothers and sisters, and it will strengthen your own faith. And it will, my mom and dad, matter of fact, be faithful to those who, who are, are, are suffering. 
And I want you to imagine uh, like, like this. Imagine that you, like, can, I'm making this up. Let's say you had five kids. Let's say that four of them were like crazy wealthy and had, you know, houses and they had summer homes and winter homes and extra cars and, and four of them. And, and the other one couldn't feed their kid. Wouldn't you say to your wealthy kids, could you just share a little bit with that one who's starving? Can you imagine the father looking over his church today and he sees our wealth and our privilege and our, and, and, you know, we could cancel cable and send that money to Voice of the Martyrs. We could, we could do that. We could say, you know, I'm just going to cut out breakfast for a month and I'm going to send that money to uh, somebody that I know is in a place of suffering. I, I read a book on Friday. On a good day off, I read a book. I, I got to read a book on Friday. And I, I read a book by David Platt called Something Needs to Change. Um, and in, in the book, he met a guy named Aaron, and Aaron hiked up into the mountains in, in probably Tibet, up in the Himalayas, uh, with some friends just to go hiking one day, and he discovered the, the poverty and the need and, and, and the, the, the sex trafficking and the, the hunger. And his heart was so broken, he couldn't complete his hike. He, he hiked back down the mountain. He quit his job. He came back as a missionary, and he started working in those mountains. And David Platt came and visited him. They took a helicopter. They took a, pot, the, they took a helicopter up on the mountain to hike further up into the mountains. And David Platt writes about it in this amazing book that reads like the book of Acts. It's like travel narrative. So he hikes up into this mountain, and one of the first things he sees is a man whose face is being completely eaten away by a preventable disease. Within a few days, he's going to die. And he is going to die. And then he hikes to the next village, you know, and there's a, this little girl there that grabs a hold of his hand and won't let go. And he goes through the village and she never lets go of his hand. And then she starts tapping on his pack as he's going out the other end of the village because she knows he's got some energy bars in his pack. But he's been told he's not allowed to give out any food because they have a, a distribution point. And if he does this, he just, he's made a promise he wouldn't give her food. He literally has to pull his hand away and run from her. And she's shouting after him because she's hungry. And one, and one, he, one, as they're walking along, Aaron says, there's a, their guide and their translator is a guy whose name is Nabin. And he says, have Nabin tell you his story. And Nabin said, well, I was born with a, with a defect. And in my village, when you're born with a defect, you're, you're, you're chained out in the barn. No, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. That's, that's true, but it wasn't true of him. In his case, his mother died. And because his mother died, he had a stepmother. And the stepmother had him chained in the barn. But often people with defects are, were chained in the barn. But he was chained up in the outbuilding. And, and Aaron came along stumbling through the mountains one day and got lodgings in, in that barn at night and discovered there's a human being in there. And he set Nabin free and, and, he, and he learned English. And Nabin then was, the, was a translator. Uh, they, in another village, they, they met a young woman, a Christian young woman that was a school teacher. And he said, have her tell you her story. And she said, well, uh, I, you know, my family, I was born on a bad day. When you're born on a bad day, they assume that you're going to be possessed or that you're going to be, my grandfather was a demon talker and grandpa said I was going to serve the devil. So my parents were afraid of the devil all my life and they made sacrifices to the devil. And they, made, they had me go out and put sacrifices out to the devil and I lived in fear and I knew that I would amount to nothing. And then one day a blind man, an elderly blind man came hiking up into the mountains. Difficult for a seeing person this man was sightless and hiked up into the mountains and told them a story about a man who was stronger than demons. I don't know if you ever heard of this man, but he told them a story about a man who was stronger than demons. Told them a story about the man who said he was a man who, who came from heaven, from God, and he came down to earth. And that he lived a sinlessly perfect life. And then they tortured him. And, and they, I don't know if you ever heard of this man, but they nailed him to a cross. 
And then they tore him down when he died, and they buried him in the ground, and then he rose again. Have you ever heard of this man? Jesus. You were a little slower than the kids downstairs. They were so on that. Aren't you glad somebody told you about him? When, when, he, when her dad, when Alicia's dad believed, they gave him a Bible. Eventually, her mom believed. She said their whole life changed. And the, the, in, the, in, the, in the village, they decided that they would have to kick him out because they didn't want to displease the devil. There'd be a curse on the whole village then. Rather than kick him out, they just said, well, you can't go to the well. So they had to hike to another village to go to the well. And one day, they hiked to another village to go to a well to get water, and they never came back. And the story was that there was an avalanche, and it pushed their parents off the mountain. But a couple of years later, they discovered what really happened was the village elders caught them on the road and stoned them and pushed them off the mountain because they were so afraid that because of them following Jesus, the devil was going to have a curse on their village. Alicia flees to the big city, finds a church, follows Jesus, and gets baptized. Goes to school to be a teacher and hikes back up into the mountains. And she's working among the mountain villages to teach the little children about Jesus. There are Smyrna churches in the world today. And we should probably make ourselves aware of them. So to the church in Jackson, we should say, Jackson, be Bethel, be faithful to help those who are suffering. Be faithful in suffering yourself. Be faithful in your dying. Be faithful in your living. Do little things for God, not just say, hey, I'll lay down my life for you. You know, you, you, your wife may rather you got her water in the night than lay down your life for her. Just do something. Um, and then third, be faithful to prepare and train your children to suffer and stand alone. I was going to mention this. My, my mother gave me a tract when I was a little boy. Uh, it was kind of cheating, but she did that sometimes. She said, I want you to have this tract. I want you to read it. And it was, it was I'll never forget it. It was called Others May, You Cannot. Others May. You cannot. And the idea is you're consecrated to God. Other people can do things you can't do. In other words, they may be able to go and do this thing that's questionable or maybe sinful, but you're consecrated to God. You can't do that. Others may. You can't. That was the idea. In other words, my mom tried to teach me that I would have to stand alone in life. When I was a little boy, my dad gave me a book. It was a little over my head. And it was dark. It's called Tortured for His Faith by Harlan Popov pastor was tortured, I think, for years for his faith. My dad wanted me to read that book so that I would realize there are people in the world that are suffering, that I will, will have to stand alone, that in my lifetime I'll have problems, but they won't be as big a problems as other people who are following Jesus had. I think it was really good for me to read books like that. I read a book my dad gave me called In the Presence of His Enemies by Captain Howard Rutledge. He was shot down over North Vietnam, and he was in the Han Hanoi Hilton, and he was a devout believer and he followed the Lord, and he, and he was faithful to God. And he came home, and you, maybe you saw a picture where a, another fellow, Jeremiah, I read these stories. My dad gave me these stories to read. Today now, we have, the, we have the Internet. We have amazing stuff that you can read stories. You can get the anointed books of Corey Ten Boom. And you can read. There was anointing on her life because she suffered because she was faithful unto death. And, you know, I just think of how many nights I, I surf for something to entertain me that's probably not all that good when I could choose something, maybe, a, maybe pick a night, choose something better so that we're faithfully preparing our children to suffer and to stand alone. You know what's interesting? There's one more piece about, about Smyrna. They say that the, the pastor, the head pastor, uh, 
appointed by the Apostle John and a personal acquaintance of the Apostle John was a man named Polycarp. And Polycarp lived a very long life and was a devout, amazing pastor. And he would not yield to this pressure, this emperor worship. And thing, they begin to turn the heat up on him later in his life. And they came to him and they said to him, you know, if you don't burn incense to the emperor, you, you will burn at the stake. And, and, and Polycarp was, said when they came to him, the representatives came to him, they say, in church history it's recorded, that, that Polycarp made dinner for them and said, can, you, can I just serve you a meal? And can you give me an hour to prepare myself for death while I, while I talk to God? And then he went into a two-hour prayer meeting. This really wasn't a bad idea, right? And, and then he came out, and his prayers were so devout that they impacted the men who came, and the men began to beg him, please, do what they ask you to do. We don't want you to die. And he said, I have been a follower of Jesus for 85 years, and he's been faithful to me, and I'm not going to deny him. I want to be faithful unto death. And he burned at the stake. He might have been the messenger of the church in Smyrna. He was one of the pastors of the church in Smyrna. God help us and help our suffering brothers and sisters to finish faithful. God help our sons and daughters to finish faithful. God help us to finish faithful. Stand with me and we'll pray. Sobering today to think of the precious brothers and sisters who suffer for your namesake all around the world today. All around the world. And we live lives of such privilege, comfort, and ease. Help us, I pray, to be aware, to care, to give ourselves to prayer, to be willing to share with those who are suffering. Help us to change. Help us to change our lives. And it's a look at this. Work among us, I pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be faithful to those who are being faithful to you, that we would be faithful uh, to you, that we would stand alone, that we would consider eternal things the most valuable things, the most valuable riches. Give us, I pray, that heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.